hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Um, guy named Officer Deputy Jesse Hernandez reacting to you might have heard about this this week the sound of an acorn dropping on his fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> that was all because he heard an a- you know when you're like parked under a tree and it's like ding. <laughs> yeah, that, that that was misconstrued as a gunshot. That's why everyone's making acorn jokes this week. I had to do, look it up reverse style because I was just like, what is the, what did I miss? What is acorn? You know, how the internet I be. That. I thought, <clears throat> I thought maybe the, uh, the organization has been refounded. That would be a good wedge issue for Biden to refound acorn after it got demolished by it Obama. Would have been a fantastic podcast segue. Let me tell you, but it's, well, it still could be, I guess we could still m- finagle that, but it's literally just fucking acorn. And I guess what happened is that, the, so this happened last year and uh, I think the, the, the court case just like ended or whatever. So all the, this video is finally, you know, public. I don't know the fucking legal shit for why that happened or whatever, but there's a video of it. It's from the guy's body cam and um, it is fucking terrifying. He yells, like shots fired and then fucking like does a uh, you know how guys just think they know how to do a combat role <laughs> you know uh, like he, I know he's in some fucking military bullshit before this he says that he didn't really have any police training but he like in the court case it, he brought up the fact that he was like enlisted and whatever the fuck he from his body cam footage you can see him do this crazy you know fat guy combat role thing and wait, he, wait, he's a he's a cop, but he doesn't have any police training. He's a cop, but something came up in the case. I, I, this is like his first job or something. I don't know. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't know the details of it. But from the body cam, you see him roll, and he's like, oh, uh, "Shots fired!" And then he starts yelling, "I've been hit," which he <laughs> has to tell everyone in the court case was not true. <laughs> like he, he hasn't been shot, so there's no, you know, nothing happened to his fucking plate carrier bulletproof vest, whatever the hell. No injury. He just made that up. <laughs> so there's an article of advice about it. It says in twenty in November 2023, a police officer in Okaloosa County, Florida, got in a heated shootout with an acorn, endangering the life of the detained man who was in handcuffs in the car. It's really disturbing, but yeah. it's kind of funny. The phrasing got in a shootout with an acorn makes it sound like it was mutual, like the acorn had a pistol or something. Well, uh, that's vice for you. Uh, you know how they still got it sometimes. <laughs> at, it says, at the time, a handcuffed man 
named Marquis Jackson was inside the vehicle. Jackson is a black Florida resident who had been detained by Hernandez and his partner, Sergeant Beth Roberts. After being accused of stealing a car and sending threatening messages to his girlfriend, one of the messages included what police said was an image of a pistol silencer. I don't know. Uh, After rolling on the ground, Hernandez shouted, I'm hit. He had not been hit and told Roberts the shots were coming from inside the car. So Roberts unloaded like, oh, she also fired. But this dude like unloaded his entire clip at this car that he had a detained fucking person in. Oh, and then his, his his partner did it, too. It says the incident is a stunning example of police incompetence and law enforcement's willingness to use deadly force against the a subject. Yada, yada, yada. The guy, the, the, the dude that was in the car has said that he's like damaged for life, which you will be if, if yeah. something like that happens to you. you. Yeah, getting shot at is not great for the psyche. He didn't get hit physically, but he's like, right. you know, we could ruin his brain, I'm sure. He shouted, shots fired four times. So the shots were coming from the car. He claimed he was hit. His partner, who's also uh, who's unloaded the car, seemed confused. At one point, asked him, what? <laughs> <laughs> but she still fired her fucking gun. And then in the body cam footage, the sound of an acorn hitting the car is barely audible before the shooting begins. So it's like on screen and shit. That's almost the most disturbing part is that the the other partner's reaction is just to start shooting also at whatever he's shooting. Yeah. I I do kind of want to empathize with him a little bit because I'm a very jumpy person. If I'm not expecting a loud noise. Then I'll, you know, I I jump. I don't shoot anybody or at anything, but I, I, you know, react to it in often in a big way. People like to laugh at it sometimes. Fourth of July is not a lot of fun for me for that reason. But an acorn, that's like, as far as nuts go... That's like this one of the smaller ones, right? It's it's a compact thing. It's got a lid on it. Yeah, that, if this that, had been a walnut, then yeah. sure. <laughs> if Both it was a Brazil kids. nut, then he might as well bring out a bazooka. But an acorn, that's that's absurd. I didn't even know. See, I remember hearing as a kid that they were going extinct acorns. So maybe that's what he was reacting to. It was just like the rareness of a, an acorn. Like we gotta save this acorn. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's threatening the acorn. Uh, no, but he, they went through the fucking the video, the court case. They went over the acorn a bunch of times because it's on video. Eventually, there's like a Joss Whedon style uh, dialogue between him and um, it's it's someone says to him, "Acorn," and then he responds, "Acorn." <laughs> what? Deputy Hernandez asked, "Acorn?" Question mark. Investigator Hogan answered, "Acorn." So you know, like a. Like a Geico commercial or something. Wow. <laughs> you yeah, know when but- cops have like have to cover for each other and like I mean they have like a whole mentality of like you can never give up any sort of sense of like anyone in your force doing anything wrong, especially at like protests and stuff. You have to, yeah. like, to be a unified run. But there's so many times where you can just tell they're like, Oh, this fucking idiot. Yeah, <laughs> they they uh he did get fired I think but they had like they made all these statements about like, we're very thankful he wasn't injured and <laughs> uh we ultimately believe that he believed his life was in peril. The article says the incident had a significant effect on Jackson. Yeah, uh, I said that earlier. All we could do was lean over and play dead, preventing to get shot in, in the head. He wrote, "I was scared to death. All I I knew all I could depend on was God. I ignored everything and prayed. Uh, I haven't been the same since the feeling." 
Ultimately, investigators concluded that Hernandez's use of force was not justified because the only external stimulus was the sound of the acorn. However, his partner was exonerated, and in a statement on Hernandez's resignation, Sheriff Aiden still defended him as genuinely fearing for his life over the sound of an acorn. Okay, this is what I was looking for. During the investigation, Hernandez was initially adamant that shots had been fired. He said that he did not have prior law enforcement experience, but that he trained at West Point and served as an infantry and special forces for over a decade which included two rotations in Afghanistan. I mean, honestly, you know what? I don't want to be an armchair psychologist here, but like that thing where you're jumpy from sounds like that, uh-huh. I had that too. You want to know why? Because yeah. I've been what? diagnosed with PTSD. And when wow. that's sometimes what uh, the outcome of that is, is that you jump at loud noises and shit like that, which is why veterans are like fucking uh, 4th of July either. either. And uh you shouldn't be a cop, you know, <laughs> if yeah. you've got that. Take up pottery. <laughs> or like you shouldn't you should train with regards to that or like, I don't know. This is fucking dumb. Anyway, that's a screening thing. Like it used to be. I Was it ever hard to be? A, I mean, no, I've related to some of them, but uh there should be more screening processes for proof as a cop, and this should be part of it. Maybe he had a nut allergy, and that should also be part of the screening because of that's right. Because because of because of woke, all the cops have nut allergies now. <laughs> yeah, not, not like they used to be men and drink from the hose or whatever. Indeed, I don't know. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's uh, that's all the solution to that mystery there. Um, by the way, hello, hello everyone. This is Pod Damn America. I'm Jake. That's Anders. Anders Lee here. We are going to talk about something today. Very interesting. I had not read about it until we decided to do an episode, which is that there's a, a movement called the Uncommitted Campaign in Michigan, which is try, uh, doing sure. something. Poly people, just to be clear. Uh, that's right. That's a misunderstanding, but that's for a different podcast. I, you can be very committed in a non-monogamous situation. Okay. Uh, I'd say this is more for swinging bachelors. Right? Okay. You know? Yeah. I don't want to get tied down, man. I'm they call me the wind. I just keep moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um the uncommitted campaign is a write-in campaign uh in the uh, the Democratic primary in Michigan. Uh you should be explaining it more than me. Uh yeah, it was a good job. In- I was I was worried you were gonna say Minnesota for a second, as often <laughs> happens. Minnesota's Michigan, Michigan is Minnesota to probably most Americans. Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman. Uh, <laughs> yeah. what, oh, hang on. Go, go ahead and give me the spiel. What is it? Uh, well, so um, a lot of Democrats are upset at Joseph Biden for the ongoing support of a uh, what what the ICJ has admitted is a plausible genocide. Interesting qualifier, but basically on, on the highest, you know, what should be the highest legal body in the world. They have decided that when you look back in history, there's a good chance that a textbook in 100 years from now will say this was a genocide and Biden is continuing to to fund it. So for voters in a place like Michigan, they want to protest, right? And, and uh, for a while, it looked like maybe would have a protest candidate. People we've talked about on the show, people have floated uh, different figures, uh, people I like in many cases, Rashida Tlaib, but we haven't fronted a left-wing challenger. There's a lot of reasons, good and bad, for that. But what is starting to happen, and maybe this will grow into something, I hope it does, is a an effort to get primary voters 
to vote for uncommitted. So the delegates would not go to Joe Biden. And presumably, I guess it would come down to the convention, like how it used to be in, in American politics. You would decide nominees at conventions and it was actually exciting. It wasn't just like all the pomp and circumstance of giving speeches, less democratic, a small D that is fair, but, uh, at least more exciting. And there's a remote possibility that that will be what happens this summer in Chicago, where, by the way, that's, you know, that's going to be interesting. Uh, 2024, have it be the same place as 1968 when there was an incumbent democratic president deeply unpopular because of an ongoing war. Uh, Whoa. So there could be, I, I predict there will be protests at, uh, at the convention in, in Chicago. Um, did you see this week Nancy Pelosi giving her a little talk? No. So Nancy Pelosi was interviewed this week on some like panel, some like big wig sort of you know foreign policy luminary deal. And this guy asks her like, why isn't Biden doing more to stop the genocide in, in Gaza? And she's basically like, well, I don't know what he can do. And the dude just lists all these examples of presidents in years past, Eisenhower, H.W. Bush, Reagan, not progressive people who have actually uh, used the stick instead of the carrot with Israel and I tried to conditionalize aid, uh, set down limits on what they they can get away with, etc. And she's like, uh, well, that was 1956. And, and then it was like, well, no, it wasn't. It was also 1992. And she's like, yeah, I know. I was there. That was her rebuttal was that she was there. So the point is irrelevant. And she points out that uh, she has protesters at her house every day. And not, that, and not that it bothers her at all. Not that it's even worth mentioning, she says. But she does have protesters calling for a ceasefire. But what she thinks people don't understand is that somehow after October 7th, we stopped giving Israel military money. That's, that is what she actually stated in an interview. That's wrong um, as hell. Yeah. Or like the, the money that's being now used or the, uh, the weaponry that's being used now to kill children in Gaza that, that didn't come from us tax dollars or something, uh, which is just blatantly untrue, but she's gotten, I think kind of worse on just in general. And, uh, it reminds me a lot of Joe Biden, uh, cause in both cases, like she, she's just spouting stuff off. She even said, she said the protesters, well, they're not calling for a ceasefire. Uh, they're, they're praising Hamas is what she claims that the protesters outside her house, people who are like very committed politically and are like, you know, think about this stuff, think about messaging. They've dedicated their time to, protesting against a, a ongoing genocide and they're they're targeting an elected official that they would somehow in the course of that be, be like one of the chances Hamas is great or something she's also said people are Chinese plants uh, <laughs> and it really reminds me of Biden because up to 2017 he was with it he was sharp as a tack and then in then that they changed what it was <laughs> I used to be with it it's from the Simpsons go ahead <laughs> But right when he gets out of office as vice president, he just immediately declines. I think there is something to if you are like an old politician and you're just on fucking full speed ahead mode for decades on end. And then you take a step back, as Nancy Pelosi did, 
because she's in a weird position now where she's still an elected official, still in Congress, but not this, the uh, minority leader, not going to be speaker again. Um, once you take a step back in both cases, they seem to somehow kind of lose it. Like their mental faculties just, uh, they sit down and roll out on the lazy boy, you know, they're yeah. more at ease now, but all that age finally catches up with them, uh, in Biden's case and, and Pelosi's, um, which is not to say that all old people are <laughs> or incompetent that's been an issue of some dispute this week people are they're now doing the sort of the hillary thing with biden where it was like Uh just instead of uh trying to like rebut a lot of the complaints people had about hillary clinton they would just be mad that people were complaining in the first place and as we neared november 2016 the message from democrats and liberals just became suck it up and you know vote for her which is is understandable but but at a certain point they they just kind of lost the thread of what you're supposed to do in a campaign like this where uh-huh. with with Clinton it was just people were just mad that anyone disliked her and were extremely defensive about her being unpopular uh, instead of reconciling with the fact that she's unpopular, which therefore means you should not nominate her, right? A lot of a lot of good reasons Hillary Clinton's unpopular. A lot of bad reasons too. But the fact was she was deeply unpopular, and you idiots nominate her anyway. The same fucking thing is happening with Biden, but now they're doubling down and getting defensive and doing this kind of weird new identity politics about being old. Oh, you know? right, because that's like the only thing you can say about him because he's a white man. They did an identity right. politics forever, and then they elected a white man. Yeah. Um, you know who isn't sitting down? Uh, this is a deep cut from years ago if you were alive in the oh, 2020 I know where election. you're going with this. A guy who likes to stand up on top of things. Remember Beto O'Rourke when he used to stand on tables and shit? Yes, I do. Beto O'Rourke. So the reason I brought up the subject of today, the uncommitted campaign, which is uh, oddly – taken off uh it's oddly picked up some momentum and i was reading about it today and the funniest fucking thing about it to me is that beto o'rourke is for some reason supports the uncommitted campaign and uh, i have a theory which i think it's because he lost so many times i think Mm. he's kind of doing the same thing that andrew yang is doing (laughs) where because he's writing a book uh that's like about d- democracy that's called we've got to try very yeah. better title we've got to try colon how the fight for voting rights makes everything else possible so i think having just suffered devastating losses both in senate and presidential uh, did he run for governor too like every yep. race right he's decided to sit down and figure out why that happened because it just could not have been him or his politics, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, And as part of that, he, and I think this is because this is within the political system. So on some level, like some of these people are going to be cool with it. You know, he he sees this as a perfectly reasonable and he sees parallels in it that go back to that parallels. Parallels. Uh, One of the things he, (laughs) That he brings up, and it's in this article in the Michigan Advance, is uh, when Martin Luther King Jr. and Andrew Young first approached President Lyndon B. Johnson about passing the Voting Rights Act of 1965, O'Rourke said the president told them he didn't have the political power to get it passed. King and Young spent weeks and months 
that followed organizing to get Johnson that mandate. Quote, it culminates in John Lewis leading the march across the Edmund Pettus Bridge in March of 1965, almost being beaten to death in the process and really galvanizing the conscience of the country. Within eight days, Johnson convenes a joint session of Congress and by that summer has passed and signed into law the Voting Rights Act of 1965, O'Rourke said. I know that quote, I know that Joe Biden is a good man. I know that he wants to do the right thing. Sometimes with a little political pressure helps a president get there. And that may be what's needed right now. So for whatever fucking reason, if you've been wondering what Beto has been doing since losing (laughs) (laughs) is reading about shit like this. And it's, it's caused him to um, interestingly be in support of this, which I find really interesting because he took APAC money. And that was mm. one of the reasons that I didn't trust him and that fucking people didn't trust him. And he obviously was a, a shill. But he was had this naivete about him as a guy who I think believes in liberal democracy, American style. And, you know, this is kind of makes sense that he he ended up here, you know? Right. Well, this, yeah, this is the new Beto. He's probably not going to. I would hope is not going to run for anything in the future. So now he's rebranding as, as an author and commentator and to have uh, more credibility as that type of person, he needs to take stances like being for a ceasefire and, you know, have a little yeah. edge to the brand, which, uh, you know, I'm glad he's for it, but it does. He's dumb though. Like this is another, yeah, this is another thing he said. He said almost every issue from the war in Gaza to reproductive rights can be connected back to the health of American democracy and voting rights. I don't know about that, man. (laughs) There's a thread there, but like, I don't know. That's very, I don't know. It's very U.S. centric. And uh, as if these things get better when we have healthier democracy here, is there an example of that? We don't have healthy democracy. I don't think. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's almost there. Like, all these issues are interconnected because of global capitalist imperialism, not because of, like, diebold voting machines, you know? Yeah. Uh, That stuff is bad, but that doesn't, that's not the core problem, right? It's it's not, gerrymandering is a symptom, right? Right. Uh, Right. But to him, it's a huge problem. Yeah. Uh, He says a couple other interesting things in in this shit where he's going off is, one of the things he's really concerned with is that the Democratic Party strategy of juicing like candidates that are easier to beat in Republican primaries. Because he's saying, you know, yeah, sure, we beat them a lot of times, but if you don't, you end up with like a like a QAnon crazy person right. in office, which is has happened. Yep. And I mean, he's right about that. That's fucking bad. <laughs> uh, but then his conclusion is some fucking Lisa Simpson politics nerd shit, poli sci stuff, where he's like, we should focus on our own primaries. Um, he also says that it says, but O'Rourke recognizes that voters may become desensitized if every election is sold as the most important election of their lives mm. <laughs> with action on key issues presented as being on the ballot, even when their political party of choice already holds levers of power. So this is interesting. Cause they ain't wrong about that. Oh, fuck. I'm sorry. This is my last point I wanted to make about this, but the funniest part of this is, <laughs> is that he says, Michiganders are no strangers to sticking with something they believe in for long periods. Mentioning the Detroit Lions first playoffs win in more than 30 years. Uh He says, I don't watch a lot of professional sports and couldn't have told you uh, what teams are likely to be in the Super Bowl. But as the field narrowed and folks were talking about Detroit, definitely got my interest. 
he he empathizes with the Detroit Lions, which I think is very <laughs> funny. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz they're losers yeah. too. Right, he's the Detroit Lions of politicians. <laughs> oh man. What a goofball. In the coming weeks and months though, hopefully there will be more Beto O'Rourke's, uh people who have maybe more at stake in their careers who come out for a ceasefire and come out uncommitted against Joseph Biden being renominated and reelected. Be the um, acorn that scares Joe Biden. There, yes, that's a great point. Um, and that's the other thing is him getting scared at, his, at an acorn would be would make news probably, and be, <laughs> it, it would people would jump on it. But like Beto, I'm I'm wouldn't be surprised if we get an op ed that Beto is being ageist for saying people should vote uncommitted, that it's uh, Biden is actually doing just fine, and that's p- people's ageism acting up when they uh, say he's too old to be the president. Remember when Bernie was running and it was like, he's too old, we need fresh blood was the thing they kept saying? Right. They just had right. a completely 180 that when Biden got elected. Yeah, and that's and a perfect counterexample because, and as we've covered on the show and the over the past few months, especially Bernie is, has been very disappointing on, on Palestine. Uh, but when he was, he was running, he, he was actually still with it. Like even today, he's still, you know, not Biden. Like he's not forgetting, he's not calling the current president of Germany, Francois Mitterrand. Like he's at least with it. So you can be old and have mental acuity. It's just, if you, are losing your marbles and you're also old, I think it's okay to call out into question. I personally don't think it really matters how mentally competent the president is. I think that's kind of an overrated thing, but it goes back to the Clinton example when even if it's a dumb reason that people don't like this person, it's still a very real thing. It's a real phenomenon that they're unpopular, that people don't want a president who is walking into doors, you know, it just really does not inspire uh, confidence from the people who say we have to defeat Trump and fascism, that they're insisting that it's just ageism. Um, that's that's what I always said, like during 2020, back when I gave a shit about politics, they were the very exciting, you know, like when people would argue that you should vote for or that, that people weren't voting for Hillary or whatever because of sexism. I'd be like, if you really think that, you shouldn't run a woman. Right. I don't really think that necessarily because I think w- women win races all the time when they're not Hillary Clinton. <laughs> but there's an extent to that that's fucking true. But if you're that cynical about it and you think that's the most important part of politics, theoretically, you should only run white men, you know, right. it's, to buy your own logic bullshit or whatever. Or yeah. Whatever. Yeah, that was kind of the logic behind Biden being nominated with a lot of a lot of Democrats. Um, but anyway, yeah, we should mention actually, too. So in Michigan, it is a I believe you can actually fill in the bubble. They'll have a line for uncommitted. Uh, and also, you don't have to be a registered Democrat. It's an open primary. So if we have any independent leftist Green Party, whatever, uh, Republican listeners, I'm sure we have thousands in Michigan. Um, you can you can vote in this thing and not commit to the president. But to fill us in some more about this issue, as well as a lot of other things, 
We have a guest we're going to go to now. We have a great interview we just did with Adam Abusala. All right, we are now joined by Adam Abusala, who is a political organizer, a former emphasis on former a staffer for Joe Biden's 2020 campaign and the f- co-founder of Project 1948, which I definitely want to find out some more about. Uh, but Adam, thank you for joining us on the show today. Thank you both for having me on. I appreciate you guys. Yeah. Well, I, I really wanted to talk to somebody in Michigan who is involved in the uncommitted campaign to get Democratic primary voters to vote uncommitted. Can we begin, though, by you telling us about your trajectory as a political organizer? Because, uh, as I mentioned, you did work for Biden's 2020 campaign. Um, but but what can you tell us about your background and then the past couple of years, how you've kind of crossed a, a Rubicon of sorts uh, now as an organizer against Biden's Democratic primary campaign today? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, I live in Dearborn, Michigan. I am a Palestinian American. I'm Muslim American. Um, and, and as you said, uh, I, I live in Michigan, uh, a swing state that in the last 20 or 20 years, whoever has won, uh, Michigan has won the presidency. Uh, so it's definitely an important state. This is a state that, uh, Hillary Clinton only lost by 10,000 votes in 2016. And, um, it's a state where Muslim and Arab Americans, uh, really do make a difference uh, with who uh, wins the you know the top of the, the top of the ticket uh, in in 2020, uh, Muslim and Arab Americans came out uh, strong for Joe Biden. Um, we came out in record numbers. Seventy five percent of Arab Americans voted for Joe Biden in Michigan, uh, and we you know we didn't vote for Joe Biden because he was Joe Biden. He was an exciting candidate. Uh, we voted for Joe Biden because he wasn't Donald Trump. Um, but uh, this year we're saying we're no longer going to vote for the lesser of two evils. We're no longer going to compromise who we are, our values, and our people now uh, in order to save Democrats in a state like Michigan. Uh, Joe Biden is somebody that we brought into our homes, we donated to, we, we, uh, you know, we knocked on doors for, we called, and, and we voted for. And he is somebody who has betrayed our community. He's somebody who is uh, currently funding the genocide of our families. Uh, he is somebody who, uh, you know, uh, disregarded Palestinian lives. He's somebody who has constantly come out and, and lied about what is going on and, um, you know, lied about his, you know, his actions, uh, you know, with what's going on. So this is somebody that we, you know, we no longer trust. This is somebody that uh, we just can't come out and vote and support. Um, you know, a lot of people want to say that if we don't vote for Joe Biden, then, you know, it's going to result in a Trump presidency. Uh, but the reality is uh, the only person who is uh, going to uh, help uh, Trump get elected is Biden. And it's his actions and his administration, their hypocrisy. Uh, you know, one example of their hypocrisy has been, um, you know, when, when Anthony Blinken first entered the region, when everything first started, he said, I'm here as a Jew. And he worked around the clock to bring Israeli Americans back home. But for the first 28 days, there was no mention of Palestinian Americans. Some who are, some who are from Michigan who have lost their lives uh, in Gaza. So, uh, you know, instead of leading with compassion and, um, you know, humanity, like we thought he would, he's leading with hypocrisy and hatred. Uh, so he's just not somebody that we are going to support in 2024. And the, the campaign, uh, for uncommitted, I believe the, the official titles listen to Michigan and there's a website people can check out, listen to Michigan.com. Uh, what can you tell us about the makeup of that campaign? Does, is there a staff uh, and any sort of legal infrastructure and, and what kind of 
volunteers have been attracted to it? Yeah. So, you know, listen to Michigan is an opportunity uh, for us to send a strong message to Joe Biden. Uh, it's, a, it's an opportunity to send him a message and say, listen, uh, people from all across the state, Arab, Black, Latino, uh, you know, people from all over, uh, you know, different backgrounds are coming together and they're saying, we are not committed to what Joe Biden is doing. We are not committed to the unconditional funding of uh, the genocide in Gaza. We are uncommitted to his lies and his hypocrisy. And, um, you know, he hasn't been committed to a ceasefire yet. So we're telling him that we're uncommitted. This is an opportunity for us to say, uh, look at the political power that we have within our communities, not just out of community, but uh, different minority communities here in Michigan, saying this is the political power that we have. And, uh, you know, people are pissed. And if this is this is this is the result that, uh, you know, in November, you can lose by a lot. Um, and like I said earlier, whoever has won Michigan in the last 20 years has won the presidency. Um, and for Joe Biden, it's not looking good. Uh, uh, you know, people across the state are upset. And, uh, you know, they're saying, why are we funding uh, Israel? Why are we sending billions of dollars to Israel every single year uh, when our schools are falling apart? When a city here in Michigan, uh, the city of Flint, hasn't had clean water um, for, I believe, over 14 years. Uh, so people are upset. They're saying enough is enough. Uh, and, and, you know, we're uncommitted to what he's doing. Uh, so we're coming out and we're voting uncommitted on February 27th. And look, this is not just a vote. This is about a ceasefire. Uh, our community wants to see a ceasefire. We don't want to see our families dying uh, with our tax dollars. So Listen to Michigan is a, is a strong campaign that has earned uh, over 40 endorsements in the short time that it's been uh, you know, existing. You know, This is a campaign that has earned traction um, from all across the country, a campaign where uh, volunteers are coming actually from out of state even. Uh, to support on election day, to knock on doors, to call, and to get people out to vote, um, so that Joe Biden and, and uh, you know the DNC sees that we are no longer just going to blindly support him just because he has a D next to his name. And as you mentioned, Michigan has a large uh, Arab as well as a large Desi population, and which was decisive in 2020, Biden winning uh, Michigan. Um, but I, I'm wondering if you could kind of walk us through the timeline before October 7th was there the same kind of discord within these communities and and when did it really uh start to shift after after the October 7th attacks yeah so again like I said earlier you know a lot of people even before what you know what happened in October a lot of people were upset with Joe Biden and and you know just the false promises that he's come out with and and um you know he said a lot during the campaign that he hasn't fulfilled. And a lot of people were upset, um, you know, about the unconditional funding for, for Israel's military aid. Uh, they were upset that, you know, they thought that they had, you know, they felt that they had more money in their pockets under Trump, uh, which is, which is a horrible reality uh, because no one wants to see another Trump presidency. Um, and, and people don't feel like they're safer under Biden. They don't feel like they're doing better, um, you know, economically under Biden. Um, you know, and, and you look at it, he's, you know, during his campaign, he said a lot. And his first two years as president, he had a Democratic controlled House and a Democratic controlled Senate. Uh, and he wasn't even able to convince people within his own party of things that he wanted to do. Um, because a lot of people were just upset, even within his own party, because of stuff that he said, and he never fulfilled. Uh, you know, I was having a conversation with a reporter. Um, and I said, we were talking about, is it possible that a lot of non-Arab uh, 
uh, Muslims will vote for Biden in November of 2024. And he was actually a Desi uh, American. He was telling me, he said, you know, even before October, a lot of Desi Americans were already, um, they were done with Biden uh, because of what's going on in Pakistan and with, uh, you know, the, the whole situation with Imran Khan. So a lot of people were already upset with Joe Biden's uh, interference with what's going on there. People are saying, look, uh, you know, Trump was a horrible president. We saw four years of Trump, and now we saw four years of Biden. And, and the reality is, as an Arab American, as a Muslim American, as a Palestinian American, I can tell you that my life and my, the life of my family overseas is not safe under Biden or the forever impeached president. Uh, so we're again, we're saying we're not just going to support this man just because he has a D next to his name. As a community, we're, we're done voting for the lesser of two evils. They're both uh, too evil for us. Uh, and, and again, and I use the term save Democrats, we're not going to save Democrats anymore in a state like Michigan, if they are, uh, just going to unconditionally support Israel as they're carrying out this genocide on the people of Gaza. Well, that is a nice lead into my, my next question, because, you know, obviously Gaza is really a key issue motivating this campaign, but are there, there are other issues as well that are getting people to be galvanized for being uncommitted. Uh, you mentioned Pakistan. Are there other, and as well as uh, Flint, Michigan, which still doesn't have clean water. All these mm-hmm. things are interconnected. But what are some of the other uh, issues people are bringing to this? You know, look, I was actually talking to somebody uh, earlier today, and he was talking to me about his son who, uh, you know, has diabetes, who has uh, pre existing conditions. And he was talking to me about the the crazy, crazy, crazy amount of money that he spends every single year towards healthcare. And when you think about a country like the United States of America, the wealthiest country, the, the, uh, you know, the leading country in the, in the world, people are dying in our country every single year simply because they have no healthcare. So, uh, you know, people are upset about a lot of things. I also talked to somebody who was upset about uh, Biden's immigration policies. Uh, and they're saying that is Trump's, is, is Biden's policies really any different than Trump's policies? Um, you know, I, I think one of the things that I can I can think of is that Biden may think that he has lost a lot of uh, progressive and a lot of Arab and Muslim supporters, uh, just progressives throughout the country. And I think he's trying to make that up uh, by uh, leaning a little, you know, center with a lot of like policies, you know, whether it's about immigration or health care. And that's just a testament to the type of person he is, that he puts uh, electoral politics over uh, the well-being of Americans. Um, so again, this is, we're, we're coming out and we're saying we came out and we voted for this man in 2020, knowing he was a, a Zionist, knowing that he was a strong supporter of Israel. Um, you know, he has said things like, uh, you don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist. He's a proud Christian Zionist. And that if there wasn't an Israel, he, we would have to invent an Israel. So we're not surprised by the way that he is reacting. We are uh, disappointed. Again, like I told you, looking at Joe Biden as somebody who has lost children of his own, you would have thought that he would be a little bit more compassionate with things, uh, you know, and, and, and lead with humanity. But again, he has led with hypocrisy. He's somebody that came out and said, you know, we want to protect or, or restore the soul of this nation. Uh, but what, you know, the, the only thing that he has done is hurt more people, not just in Palestine, but also here in America. Uh, Joe Biden is somebody that has come out numerous times uh, with lies, uh, whether it was the 40 beheaded babies or the mass rapes. Uh, and those lies resulted in people not only being hurt in Palestine, but being hurt here in America. We saw a six-year-old boy in Chicago who was stabbed 26 times. We saw a father in Texas who was stabbed. We saw three boys 
uh, in Vermont who were shot for wearing uh, a kofiya, one that I'm actually wearing right now. Um, so this is something that, uh, you know, these, these things that happen to these people, it didn't happen because of rumors that somebody on the corner of the street, uh, you know, made up. These are, you know, these actions happen because of lies by the president of the United States. You know, one thing uh, I, I grew up in, and I'm sure maybe you too as well, is, you know, our parents taught us that there's consequences to your actions. Words matter. And Biden needs to understand that he's not just going to, uh, you know, we're just not going to forget. He's going to be held accountable for the shit that flies out of his mouth. And he needs to understand that. And if he's not going to understand it in November of 2024, we need to let him know right now that you are going to elect Donald Trump. It's not me. It's not anyone who's not going to vote for Biden in November 2024 that's electing Donald Trump. It's him that's electing Donald Trump in 2024. Absolutely. I mean, I agree with everything you're saying. And I also like I, I, I certainly like agree with the the level of uh, you know vitriol. I think it's, it's absolutely warranted. Um, but something I think that also liberals kind of need to hear when it comes to this sort of stuff is the way um, John Stewart broke it down a week or two ago on The Daily Show, which is that th- what he's doing is making him unelectable. Yeah. Like it's actually important to voice these things because he needs to hear that he needs to change path or else he's he's going to lose against Donald Trump and you like fundamentally can't really put that on individuals this is a collective result of his politics that the only way to get around that is to is to change mm-hmm. them and to, for him to you know for the democratic party to go yo we heard you and either we're going to you know try to get Biden to change or like switch him out for another candidate or whatever so like this isn't just like kicking and screaming which is the way that a lot of the liberal the dnc and everything tries to, to paint us as like being um you know insubordinate yeah. children or whatever the only way to win is to address this yeah i i, I absolutely agree with you and um you know, I, I've been doing you know political consulting for a few years here in Michigan. Um, I was actually a, a candidate for office before myself. You know, when you're running a campaign, if the candidate loses, you never blame the voters. You always blame the candidate. Why? What shortcomings did you present that you know made you lose? So I don't understand why they're blaming uh, the voters. They should blame uh, uh, Joe Biden and his incompetency uh, with what he's doing. Um, you know, and, and what's very unfortunate is I look, I'm a progressive, uh, you know, Democrat. I, I, you know, support a lot of, you know, things like Medicare for all and a Green New Deal. It hurts me to see that somebody that I should uh, be be able to vote for in November is funding the genocide of my family. Um, so we're no longer going to say, look, if they didn't learn in 2016, they didn't learn in 2020 when he barely won. Uh, and, you know, God knows if they're going to learn in 2024 enough is enough we're just no longer going to like uh, blindly support him or blindly support any democrat you know simply because you know they say they care about a few things that we care about um while they fund the genocide of our families you know and you know a lot of uh uh uh, hardcore democrats are supporting the uncommitted campaign these are people who are going to vote for joe biden in november but they're saying uh you know we want to give him a warning and say look listen a lot of people are saying, look, if people are willing to come out in a presidential primary to tell you that they're done with you, then you really have to, you know, look at what's going on. Uh, you know, if you if you told me right now that in November, uh, my vote would be the difference whether Biden wins in Michigan or not, I still won't vote for him. Uh, even if that means we get another Trump presidency. Like I told you earlier, as an Arab, as a Muslim, as a Palestinian, I can tell you that I've seen four years of Trump and I've seen four years of Biden 
And the reality is my family and I are not safe under Biden or the forever impeached president. Right. And I think, you know, to the people who are worried about Trump being back in the White House, if that's your concern, then the time to do this is now, now, right? That while there is still a chance, uh, however remote, um, but I'm wondering what you make of just today was announced Beto O'Rourke is in favor of voting uncommitted. He gave some speech in, I believe, in Michigan where he said so. Um, Do you see other Democratic figures coming out? For uncommitted, and do you see this effort spilling over into other states with primaries coming up? Yeah. So to answer your second question first, uh, actually, a lot of people from out of state are calling on organizers here in Michigan to learn more about this campaign so that they could duplicate, you know, the efforts uh, in in their own states. Uh, you know, one thing I'll tell you is, like you said, Beto Roar came out for this today. Uh, Andy Levin, a Jew uh, um, who is a former member of Congress in Michigan, came out in, in support of this. Somebody like Mary Waters, who is a, a Detroit councilwoman at large, came out and supported this, who is a black uh, woman. So this is a campaign that's, you know, uh, garnering support from people from all across the state and people from different backgrounds. And the reason for that is, again, it is not just the Arab and Muslim community who is upset with the way that Biden is handling the situation. But it's people from different backgrounds who are saying, why are we sending billions of dollars to this country uh, to bomb children. That's what we're seeing. We're seeing videos of, of children being pulled from under the rubble. Why are we sending billions of dollars for that when my child's school is falling apart or when I don't have health care as an American? People are upset about that. But again, to go back to your question earlier, people are also upset about things like Medicare, uh, you know, not having health care. They're upset about the, the immigration policies by Biden. Um, so people are upset uh, for different reasons, and this is a campaign for people to come say, listen, we're anti-war, uh, we're anti-genocide, we're no longer committed uh, to the way that Biden is going about these things, and enough is enough. And people are from all across the state, people from all different backgrounds are supporting this campaign for that reason. I'm also curious, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are probably uh, thinking this, um, the argument that a a different Democratic nominee, if you were able to replace Biden, they would in all likelihood be just as bad on Palestine. Uh, Is there another candidate you hope takes his place or is that kind of beside the point? You know, uh, I don't even think that's a conversation that we could have because I don't even think the DNC is uh, competent enough to understand that that's something that they should be doing. Um, But, you know, when you ask me, like, what, what candidate would I prefer? I will not support any candidate uh, who uh, has watched the injustices fold, uh, you know, in front of their eyes and have not said anything about it. I will not uh, support any candidate who has not called for a permanent and immediate ceasefire. I will not. And, um, you know, that's just the reality that a lot of people across the state are, you know, that's what they're saying. Um, So we're no longer, again, like I said earlier, we're no longer as a community. And look, I can speak on behalf of myself. I can't speak on behalf of many people, but I can say I cannot support anybody who has funded the genocide of my people or who has stayed silent as as this is happening. Look, in Michigan, we have an open U.S. Senate race. uh, And Alyssa Slotkin is the front runner for the Democratic primary. Uh, This is a a former CIA operative who has, uh, you know, the blood of people in Iraq on her hands. Uh, I will not support her. She's a Democrat, but I can't support her. I can't support, again, somebody, uh, you know, who is is just sitting by and and watching these injustices fold without saying anything. So, you know, I won't vote for Joe Biden. I won't vote for Alyssa Slotkin. 
Um, you know, I won't vote for anybody who has just stayed silent. And picking up that that thread, I mean, there there are whispers now that Biden is going to come out soon for a a sixty day ceasefire, uh, which is clearly not what the the demand is. The demand is a permanent ceasefire. Um, but what what is why is that an important distinction? Number one, and then number two, is there anything he could say or do that would get the uncommitted campaign to to pull back? Yeah, you know, at this point, I, I don't trust Biden. Um, I don't trust anything that he says. You know, he's he's come out and said something like he supports a humanitarian pause. Like, I don't understand. What is a pause? This is not a video game. Um, and, you know, now he's talking about, you know, uh, a temporary ceasefire. Uh, again, you know, first of all, it's 30,000 lives too late. Um, it's, uh, you know, we're, we're four months, five months into this. Uh, and he's still not called for a ceasefire. Again, if if the only reason that he's going to call for a ceasefire now is because he's worried about his re-election, then it tells you a lot about himself. Um, so, you know, you asked me, you said, is there anything that he can do to, to earn my support again? Yeah, there is. Uh, he can bring 30,000 lives, uh, you know, 30,000 Palestinians back to life, uh, rebuild Gaza brick by brick, and uh, recognize Palestine. But again, that's not going to happen, so... Uh, there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that he can do uh, to earn my support. I can speak on behalf of everybody in my family and a lot of people in my community who are saying there is nothing that he can do. One man even said he can stand on the corner of Warren and Schaefer on his head uh, from now till November and we won't vote for him. Yeah. And, you know, I I, I am interested in, in how you view this uh, as an Arab American, because I've been thinking about that this, this week, um, Matt Iglesias, friend of the show, mm-hmm. was was tweeting about he saw in some news story uh, there was a Arab American guy who supported Bush, then supported Kerry, and then uh, flash forward years later supported Biden and is now organizing with the uncommitted campaign against Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, which to someone like Matt Iglesias, this seems so befuddling and odd, um, but I think. You know, Democrats often take for granted all all their constituents, frankly, other than like rich white guys. But um, especially Arab Americans, there's this kind of assumption or there has been anyway since the Trump era that they're just automatically going to vote Democrat. But uh, can you can you explain to us why why that path I described earlier, someone going from Bush to Kerry, why that actually does make sense in, in in the life of an Arab American? Uh, you know, look, I, I have members of my family who, uh, you know, were, were delegates in the Republican Party. My uncle actually worked for the, uh, you know, for George Bush, uh, his campaign, the father. You know, as Arab Americans right now, I can tell you that we don't feel welcome in the Republican Party or in the Democratic Party. And, uh, you know, uh, people have switched over the years uh, because of what's going on to our families. Uh you know, it's always the Arab American community that's always asked to compromise, even after our our families are killed by U.S. Uh, tax dollars, uh, to vote for that part to vote for that party. Um, we have never seen any uh, other community who is asked to still support Democrats or who's asked to still report, support Republicans after their families are killed. So why is it uh, the Arab American community that's asked to support the Democrats again, even after this genocide? Uh, so we have seen, again, like I said, and we have seen, uh, you know, Arabs who have gone from Republican to Democrat, back to Republican, back to Democrat. And that's because we're really trying to find and understand who's going to care about our families just a little bit more than the other. 
Um, but right now it's, uh, it's not looking good for us. It's just, it's just again, like I told you, we, we just don't feel safe under Biden or, uh, you know, uh, the forever impeached president. I can't even say his name. Well, I, I do want to know too about Michigan politically. You, know, you mentioned there's a, a number of, uh, people across the, I guess the democratic spectrum who are in favor of voting uncommitted elected officials. Um, and Andy Levin is now out of office. Um, but Rashida Tlaib, who's, who's really, frankly, my favorite uh, member of Congress, has come under serious assault um, politically, you know, since the day she first ran for office, mm-hmm. but especially in the, in the month since October. Um, what, what is your sense of her place in this movement? And uh, are, do you think there's going to be further consequences for her within the, the Democratic Party? You know, look, uh, uh, Rashida Tlaib's district uh, consists of Dearborn, which is the largest Arab American um, population in the country. And, you know, you're not going to be able to come and tell anybody in her district or in Dearborn and tell them, hey, Rashida's too pro-Palestine, so make sure you vote against her. It's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, APEC has, has uh has pledged $20 million to, to people to run against Rashida. And I was actually just talking to somebody who was uh, very involved in, you know, in, in, uh, in, in the Detroit politics a few days ago. And he was telling me, he's like, there's just nobody that they could find to run against her. Uh, this is because people know Rashida's, uh, you, know, she, you know, the integrity that she has, uh, the courage to speak up and to, to speak for what's, you know, to speak for the truth. They know her. Uh, people in her district know her. Uh, Ro Khanna was actually here um, just a few days ago, and he had an event with Rashida. And people kept just talking about how much they love Rashida, and these were non out of. And they were talking about how much they love Rashida and and her um, her unwavering commitment to you know to speaking truth to power. And I even cracked the joke to Ro Khanna, and I told him, I said, "Hey, man, you know, when you go back to DC and you see uh, your colleagues, let them know that people in her district really love her." Um, so I don't think Rashida has anything to worry about. People know her. People. Uh, you know, want her to represent them. They really see uh, themselves in her when she's fighting for us in the halls of Congress. Um, so, you know, again, like I told you, they're, they're just not going to be able to come to Dearborn and say she's too pro-Palestine. Please vote against her. Right. And, you know, that, and I, I guess my, my real question is, you know, you mentioned that uh, Arab Americans have felt kind of politically homeless, um, but is in Michigan specifically, is there a foothold kind of an institutional situation being built alongside people like Rashida Tlaib who have who have socialist politics? Is that finally uh, cohering into like an Arab American political home? Yeah, I, I can, uh, you know, confidently I can say yes. Uh, you know, we're seeing people who are non-Arab or non-Muslim who are coming out in supporting something like voting uncommitted. I'll actually tell you, I'm actually very surprised with the amount of people uh, from different communities who have come out and supported this. Uh, you know, we see somebody like uh, Dylan Wagilla, who is a state representative, who has come out and, and, and uh, you know, who's, he's not Arab, he's not uh, Muslim, and he's come out in full support of something like this. Or Representative Aaron Burns, or Representative Karen Whitsett, uh, or Senator Darren Camilleri. These are people who are coming out and saying, look, our communities are also hurting um, because of Joe Biden and his policies. And they're coming out and they're standing in support uh, with, with uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. And, you know, I was talking to a reporter earlier who asked me two questions. He said, well, is your community just going sit to sit, sit this out in November of 2024? They're just not going to go vote. 
Uh, and my answer to him was, no, we are going to vote. We're just not going to vote for Joe Biden. Uh, we're not going to vote for uh, Donald Trump, of course. We're not going to vote for Alyssa Slotkin or uh, the Republican nominee for U.S. Senate. But we're going to vote for our Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who has come out uh, and who is speaking tr- truth to justice every single day. And who was, uh, we saw who was, who was censured and who was uh, being alienated even by members of her own party. So we're going to come out and we're going to vote for somebody like her. We're going to vote for our state reps who are uh, in, in, in support of what's, uh, you know, the Palestinian cause. We're going to uh, come out and vote for our local elections and in, in our, our city council races and our school board races. But we're just not going to vote for the top of the ticket. I'm really surprised at how uh, – I mean, I'm sure there's tons of resistance to this, but um, how much – this has been embraced by like, um, you know, like people like Beto and like politicians and stuff like that. And what strikes me as happening here is um, it's interesting. Cause like usually what happens is we go out and we protest in the streets and then they sort of say, don't do that. Uh, you know, or if you're going to do it, do it super nonviolently in a way that uh, doesn't really affect anything, but they always say, don't do that vote. Right. Engage in the political process. And then you do something like this and then you receive further resistance that says, no, don't do it like that vote for Joe Biden and that's sort of where the wall comes up there's almost like a point to this where people are fed up and like this is legitimately working within the political system in a way that I think is should be free of that criticism knock on wood though I'm sure next week they'll be really mad about it or whatever you know you know look in in 2020 uh, you know the Democratic Party was able to come to our community and say listen you have to vote for Joe Biden because he's running against Donald Trump and that was a legitimate excuse uh, and that was something that, you know, really did bring people out in 2020. But going back to what I said earlier, we've seen four years of Trump and we've seen four years of Biden. And we're just no longer going to support uh, the Democratic Party or Joe Biden uh, simply because of who he's running against. Um, you know, people here, if they're running for office, they don't go knock on somebody's door and tell them, hey, listen, I'm running for mayor. Uh, vote for me because the other guy is worse than I am. No, they tell them vote for me uh, because these are things that I want to do. These are This is my track record. Uh, so we're, you know, the Democratic Party can no longer play this fear mongering game of telling us, hey, Donald Trump is going to be elected as president. You know what? That's not our problem. That's their problem. Uh, that's Joe Biden's problem. He's the one who's electing Donald Trump, not us. Yeah. And I mean, I I hate to say it and, and I don't this isn't even me saying it, but I think people when addressing this need to understand that they're the collective response to the last four years has been generally you talk to anyone Joe Schmo walking around the street people at this point do really feel like we life under Biden and life under Trump weren't really that different mm-hmm. and I think the the existential threat part of the Trump presidency thing that the Democrats have used to, uh, to scare everyone it just no longer works and I'm not you say that to somebody and they'll start arguing with you no he's really bad but I, like I'm talking about just generally like i think generally that's gone oh, look, uh, even uh, if it I'll is you, look, worse what's what's worse than thirty thousand lives that uh what's worse right than somebody who comes out with so many uh, uh campaign promises and then for the first two years of his presidency has a democratic controlled house and a democratic controlled senate and is still able, not able to get things done uh what's worse than that uh you know donald trump comes out and says it like it is whether you hate the guy or like the guy he does uh, and Biden, you know, he hides it behind, uh, you know, you know, different flags and, and, and just uh, doesn't come out and say, it. but we know he believes in it. You know, they say when somebody tells you who they are, believe them. Uh, this is somebody, again, yeah. who has constantly come out with lies and, and uh, you know, just blatant disregard. He, he's come out and said, 
you know, maybe Palestinians didn't, that wasn't the amount of Palestinians that died. Even though we're seeing uh, videos of children being pulled from under the rubble, instead of coming out and saying that, hey, he can't even get himself to even say Palestinians deserve to live in peace and dignity. So again, man, this is, he's just not somebody who I can get myself to vote for. You can cut both my arms before I vote for him. Even, even if Donald Trump's going to win. It's, it's not my problem. Yeah, it's not on us. Yeah, it's not. Uh, well, I hate to ask you to do some prog- prognostication uh, because Michigan is is famously unpredictable. You know, that's when Bernie won the 2016 primary there. Nobody expected him to in like a 2% shot. Um, but going into Tuesday, I, I am also curious about Hill Harper, who's a former actor on my favorite show, The Good Doctor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, who is actually running, seems to be a fairly uh, decently progressive race. He's called for a ceasefire, a permanent ceasefire, I believe, and also turned down. He was offered $20 million to run against Rashida Tlaib for his campaign, and he said no. What is his shot, and what are the odds that uh, Uncommitted wins? Look, like you said, uh, Michigan is unpredictable. Uh, we In 2016, we, we saw polls had Hillary Clinton win, winning Michigan uh, in the primary, and she lost. Um, and we've seen Hillary was going to win the general, and she lost. So I, I never look at polls, but you know when you come to the Arab American community, the Muslim community, uh, Bernie Sanders won uh, high majority populated precincts uh, you know, in the Arab Muslim community by 90%. Uh, that's not because he supports the uh, Green New Deal or, or Medicare for All. That's because he supports Palestine. Uh, you know, just this past Saturday, one week ago from today, uh, my grandmother passed away. Who was a, uh, one, she was a 100-year-old uh, Palestinian who uh, left Palestine in 1967. And the first time she voted was actually for Bernie Sanders. And that was because he wasn't afraid to say that her family in Palestine deserves to live uh, in peace and dignity. Um, so, you know, we're no longer... Uh, going to put Palestine aside and um, compromise that, you know, just to help Democrats. That's going to be our frontline issue. That's going to be our red line issue from now on. That's going to be the, our number one issue. And when you come to us to ask for support, we're going to ask you about Palestine. If you give us a good answer, you're welcome in. If you're not, if you're not going to give us an answer, we're just going to not support you. We're not going to vote for you because we do understand our political power here in Michigan. We do understand that you can know you cannot win Michigan without the Arab American community uh, and without a lot of minority communities here in the state who are really building a coalition right now and saying enough is enough. Uh, you know, I was talking to a, a 65-year-old white man yesterday uh, who was very progressive. This is somebody who I've seen at phone banks, at, you know, knocking on doors uh, at the local, Demo- you know, in the local Democratic Party here. And he was telling me that he's not going to vote for Biden in November. And I was so surprised. And, uh, but, you know, the thing for me is that we're really building a coalition of people who are saying enough is enough. And I think in Michigan, uh, we're going to be doing some big things this year. Uh, when you talk about Hill Harper and you talk about the U.S. Senate race, look, uh, one thing Democrats have been horrible uh, uh, doing even before uh, October, they're very, very bad at picking candidates uh, to run as their nominees. Uh, they pick, you know, they all coalesce behind a CIA operative uh, who votes with Republicans a lot. Uh, to be their Democratic nominee for U.S. Senate. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a primary election, uh, but we've seen polls come out so far that had Hill Harper, you know, at 2%, at 10% was the highest. Uh, so, you know, but, you know, this is a fight that, uh, you know, people uh, are going to make. Uh, you know, in, in, in Michigan, we also have a candidate for U.S. Senate, Nasib Bedoun, 
was a Lebanese American um, whose family was, uh, you know, uh, you know, living under Israeli occupation in Lebanon. Uh, and he is somebody who has come out uh, really and, and has made this fight uh, against APAC and has come out and, and he's talking about why APAC money is very toxic. Um, so I'm very excited to see somebody like Nasser Bidun come out and, and being able to say that uh, without uh, worrying about, uh, you know, the political, political damage that can happen to him. Again, our community is coming out and saying enough is enough. Look, I, w- I worked on the Biden campaign in 20. I know that I will never get a job with a Democratic candidate probably ever again. But for me, that's not important. The lives of my family is more important than anything else. And, and it's not just me. Uh, there's a lot of people who are coming out. When you look at somebody like the mayor of Dearborn, Mayor Abdullah Hamoud, who is former state representative, who is now the first Arab American Muslim mayor of Dearborn, uh, who is coming out against you know what Biden is doing and coming out uh, against what the Democratic uh, Party is supporting. People, again, in, in our community, we're no longer going to stay silent. We're no longer going to act like it's not a problem. The way that they're treating our community, it is a problem. You know, I'm somebody who was uh, very for abolishing the Electoral College, one man, one vote. And and we've seen that in, in the previous years, Democratic candidates win the popular vote, but they lose. Uh, but for me right now, it's... It really, it really put into perspective that as an Arab American community, we have political power in Michigan uh, and throughout the United States. Because again, whoever has won Michigan in the last twenty years has won the presidency, uh, and and it's not it's not looking good for Joe Biden in our community. It's not looking good for him in the United in in, in Michigan. Uh, so it's not going to look good for him in November. Well, uh, first of all, condol- condolences on your your grandmother. I'm sorry to to hear that. Thank you. Um, I appreciate you. But it sounds like she lived a very rich uh, life. Um, I will say it's, it's, you know, when this sort of primary season began, uh, I was hoping that there would be some kind of challenger that would push Biden left or at least force him out. And it would, you know, nobody really, I mean, Marianne Williamson kind of punted on this issue, unfortunately, and Dean Phillips also not great, but it has kind of been beautiful to see so far. And I hope this continues people coalescing as a, as a protest, uh, not around a single individual, but as a, as a coalition, as a collective against this Biden presidency from the left. Um, that's, that's been really heartening and I, and I hope it continues, but as we're running out here, I do want to, to end on maybe a, a lighter note. You were a staffer for Sri Thanadar, mm-hmm. who is uh, one in a million. This is a really, Interesting guy. He's like 60 years old or something. Uh, 69. But he, he's, he's 69. He he like kind of pretends or will sometimes, uh, it's kind of a Dan Ninen situation. He, he almost pretends to be a millennial sometimes. Um, <laughs> but he, he was uh, a DSA member and then um, he, he's kind of all over the place politically. Uh, he he was a supporter of Marco Rubio, and then he wound up a DSA yep. member and is trying to get their endorsement to Congress, and uh, wound up being not great on uh, Modi in India, to say the least. Um, but but what can you tell us? What's some tea you can give us about working for this? He makes great great memes too. I do have to give him that. He has some enter- <laughs> if you look up the gifts of Sri Thanadar, they are pretty entertaining. Uh, but but what was that experience like, and what can you divulge? Oh, I'm not sure if you read the thread or not on Twitter, but look, I did. Um, 
you know, Sharif Anderson is somebody who in 2018 did not know if he wanted to run as a Republican or as a Democrat, and he had to hire political consultants to, uh, you know, make that decision for him. <laughs> um, he is somebody who I don't think is uh, politically aware. I don't think he understands the daily struggles of people in, uh, you know, in his district and in America. Uh, you know, he is somebody who, you know, literally bought his seat in Congress. Um, and uh, I think he is the perfect example of what's wrong with our country and what's wrong with our political system. That's like the, 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 the nicest way that I can put it. Uh, you know, when I first met with him, when I worked for him, uh, you know, in my first interview with him, he told me, he said, I, I let him know at that time, this was even before October 7th. And I told him, I said, listen, I said, Palestine is a, is a red line issue for me. It's something that I'm not willing to compromise on. And his answer to, for me was, you know, I don't know anything about Palestine. I don't know anything about, you know, Israel. I want to focus on my district. I want to, uh, you know, help the people in my district. And, and that's all I'm going to do. You know, but just to give you some context, when he ran uh, for Congress in 2022, uh, he ran, look, the, obviously, you know about the whole redistricting thing. Every 10 years, they do a redistricting. And it was a brand new district. Uh, and and uh, the congresswoman who had uh, represented, you know, a lot of that area, Brenda Lawrence, had retired, which good riddance. She was an APAC, uh, a huge APAC supporter. Uh, so she represented that district. She ended up, you know, deciding to uh, resign and, or, um, you know, retire. And uh, that was, that is a district that is 70 percent, uh, you know, uh, African-Americans. And he ran uh, against a... Uh, a field of, I think, nine black people. So it was nine black people and him. And uh, by the time the maps were finalized and by the time the election came around in August, there was only a few months. Uh, so, you know, while every other candidate was focusing on fundraising, uh, he was just sending out mailers. And I remember talking to one lady who was very politically aware and I was very surprised. And she told me, she said, uh, you know, I'm going to vote for Shri because he sends me something every single week uh, about who he is. <laughs> And she's like, and no other candidate, um, you know, is even taking the time to send me anything. And I'm like, people don't understand the, the amount of money it is it takes to, to run, you know, campaigns. Uh, so he literally bought his seat in Congress. Um, and, you know, when I worked for him, I knew very well who he was and I knew very well how incompetent he was. And the reason I worked for him was because uh, this is the third poorest uh, district in the country. And I uh, figured that if I can help him build a team of people who can uh, do things like constituent services. If I can help him, uh, you know, make sure that he votes the right way, that he requests the, the, you know, funding for his district. If I can help him with that, then that would be a win for me. Uh, but little did I know that it, that was impossible. Uh, he was more worried about his reelection. Uh, he's somebody who's spending, you know, uh, close to a million dollars every single year uh, from his office budget on advertising, um, and, uh, which is which is unheard of. Um, you know, if you look at, uh, uh, I forgot the name of the website, but it's a website that talks, that shows you the different staffers in Congress. Uh, and you can see that he has uh, one of the highest turnaround rates in, in Congress. Uh, so this is somebody that's not a serious person. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, he bought, he bought himself uh, a seat in Congress. And this is exactly what's wrong with our country. Um, you know, uh, we need to get money out of politics as soon as possible so that people like him are just not able to, to buy themselves a seat at the expense of the third poorest district in the country.
I mean, there's there's a great story you give in the in the thread where he asks you. You you happen to be just so happen to be walking outside of a, a, a church, church in a yes. black neighborhood yes. in Detroit, and he looks over and says, "Will you take a bullet for me?" And you say, "Absolutely not." <laughs> you know, it was uh, it was funny. It was actually in Ramadan, and I, I'm a Muslim American, so in, in you know in, in Ramadan I fast. I don't eat or drink uh, from sunrise to sunset. And I remember we were, we went, we, you know, we pulled up to this church and it was in Ramadan, it was hot outside. And I was like, I thought I was hallucinating for a second when he said that. I was like, maybe that's just like my starvation kicking in. Uh, but it wasn't. And, I, you know, this is stuff that he just says, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, he's very uh, incompetent. He's, he's uh, the most unaware, uh, you know, politician I've ever worked with. Uh, and I just don't believe... Uh, you know, there's people who are good people with bad politics. There's people with bad politics who are good people. Uh, but when you have somebody who's a bad person with bad politics, it's just horrible. And the, and the hair is fake. Hair is short, fake. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, people can, can Google him on Google Images and, and see yourself. It's not too hard to tell that one. Hair, <laughs> but, hair is fake, uh, and he killed the dogs. Tell you that. What what is the story what? behind that? There was like a <laughs> facility where they made these wigs or something. Yeah. So look, uh, you know, he made his money, uh, you know, being a businessman. At, uh, he was a scientist, and he owned a um, a medical lab where uh, you know he tested a lot of the medicine on on these beagles and on these monkeys. And um, there was you know there's a whole story about it that when he went bankrupt or you know he he uh, got rid of his medical facilities. He just abandoned the monkeys and the beagles. Oh, God. Ugh, wow. Guy. Well, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like this was a, a per, perhaps a radicalizing experience for you. Yeah. So. I mean, look, this is, you know, I remember once um, this was towards the end of my uh, very long career in his office. Uh, there was a time where, um, you know, he was going to the southern border and uh, he started talking to me and he was telling me like Republican talking points. And I was like, well, you know, that's not what the Democrats, like, you're a congressman, you don't, you know, you're, you shouldn't be saying that. And he's like, well, yes, yes, Adam, you know, just tell me what the Democrats like to hear. It's just, it was just ridiculous. You should have told him uh, free Palestine. <laughs> you know, he's, uh, so going back to his race, just to tell you why he's so pro-Israel right now, you know, he ran, uh, when he ran towards the end of the campaign, uh, APAC pumped a lot of money into Adam Olier, who came in second place, um, who only lost by 4,000 votes. So they, I believe they, they spent almost $8 million towards the end of the campaign on Adam Olier, and he still lost. Uh, so uh, Shri actually mentioned that to me, which was that he needs to neutralize APAC so that they don't spend so many millions against him again. Uh, so that's the, the reason why he's, he's uh, come out in, you know pro-Israel uh, and pro APAC. Look, I'm telling you, the first time I sat with him, I was talking to him about, about Palestine, about Israel, and he knew nothing. Um, so he just, uh, he's a businessman. Uh, you know, he's a business executive yeah. and he makes decisions based on money. And when he saw how much money they were willing to spend against him in 2022, you know, when, when he saw Adam Oye's, you know, jump back in the race and he's running against him this year, you know, he's, he wants to avoid APAC putting all that money behind uh, Adam. And look, he achieved it. APAC is not backing Adam. Uh, as you know, they're backing him, but not as much as they did in 2022. Mm, wow. Well, yeah, Seems not like me, Adam. Adam, a lot of politicians like that. <laughs> Important <laughs> distinction. Uh, 
Well, uh, thank you again so much for joining us. And um, can you just tell our listeners about Project 1948, which you co-founded? Yeah, so Project 1948 is a grassroots organization here in Michigan uh, that teaches people about Palestine through art and through advocacy. Uh, You know, we have put on, you know, different protests and different, uh, you know, learning opportunities for people about Palestine. We've done film series uh, where we've, uh, you know, shown different movies like Israelism, uh, for example, which is a film about, um, you know, Jewish kids who go on a birthright trip uh, and who sneak off into the West Bank and realize what is really happening and realize where their U.S. tax dollars are doing, what they're doing to the Palestinians. And they come out and, and they came back to this country uh, and, uh, you know, are fighting for Palestine every single opportunity they get. Uh, it's a movie by uh, one of the, the uh, women who were very heavily involved with in it and who's a, uh, in the movie is Simone Zimmerman, um, who was actually uh, hired on as uh, Bernie Sanders' campaign um, commu- director of uh, Jewish relations on his campaign. Uh, and she was actually fired by the Bernie campaign for being uh, too anti-Netanyahu and too anti-Israel. So mm. it's a great film. Um, so that's something that we're, you know, we're trying to do. Uh, and we've been able, you know, we've been getting a lot of good feedback on, a, uh, on some of these events. You know, we're, we're, we're doing film series and people are coming in uh, who don't know much about Palestine and who are learning. Uh, and I remember actually when we, when we screened Israelism, uh, there was actually a Jewish American who came, a Jewish girl who came. And uh, she started crying afterwards and said that it's very hard for me in my own community to come up, you know, pro-Palestine uh, because of, you know, just being uh, thrown to the side. And she was she was very hurt and, and she really came to uh, talk to members of Jewish Voice for Peace who were there, uh, who were able to connect with her and talk to her about, uh, you know, what's going on, but how she can help as a Jewish American. You know, that's interesting that you tell that story about Simone Zimmerman being fired from the Bernie campaign, because earlier you mentioned um, when Bernie was campaigning that he was not as uh, much of a Zionist and he had made some statements in favor of Palestine that won over votes. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I think his when he was in full swing, when he was a movement, uh, the movement that was working through him got him to be a little bit better on those issues. And now that he's just a politician again, he's an individual and he kind of isn't great on Palestine right now. You know, he has to, sometimes he says things, but it's like, okay, like what does he really believe? And I think that tells you something that is apt for this entire conversation, which is uh, movements get results like that, not just pledging fealty to politicians the way that Democrats sort of feel like they can bully us into, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, I'm very disappointed, actually, how Bernie Sanders is, is going about everything. Um, you know, as somebody, again, who's come into our community, we've talked to, and, and when you look at the, the election results, he has won uh, precincts in, in my neighborhood by 80, 90 percent. Um, and again, that wasn't because of the Green New Deal or his support for uh, uh, Medicare for All. It was because of Palestine. Um, and when you talked earlier, actually, about you know, why Arab Americans, you know, voted for Bush, then voted uh, for Democrats, then voted for Republicans, then voted for Democrats. And that's because we're really trying to find out who has uh, the best interests of our community and our people at heart. And we really thought that Bernie Sanders was somebody who could do that. I actually have a picture of my grandmother uh, voting for Bernie Sanders on my Twitter. Uh, and at that time, and I said, and, and she voted for Bernie because he wasn't afraid to go up on the stage and say, Palestinians deserve to live in dignity and in peace. 
Well, I guess a, a, a good note to end on. Uh, Adam Abusala, thank you again so much for, for joining us today. Thank you both for having me. I appreciate that. Where can our uh, listeners uh, find you and find out more about the movement? People can uh, uh, you know, go to listentomichigan.com uh, to learn more about the movement. Um, uh, they can also follow Project 1948 on Instagram and on Twitter uh, to see the work that we're doing and uh, to support in any way that they can. Uh, you know, they can connect with us. We can, we're willing to talk to anybody uh, in different states who want to duplicate efforts there, and we're willing to, to help in any way possible. Uh, because this is definitely a time where people are waking up, they're realizing what's happening, uh, they're angry, they're furious, uh, and, and I really do believe uh, that uh, big things are going to happen. Uh, when I talk to somebody like my father who was who left Palestine in 1967, or, or when I talk to somebody uh, who shows up to every single one of our protests, an older Palestinian man, and he tells me, he says, every time something happens in Palestine, you know, people, you know, learn a little bit about Palestine, he said, and it's, and it's good. But he said, right now, it's just different. Uh, people all across the, the world are just waking up uh, because they're seeing a genocide unfold right before their eyes. So I'm, I'm very optimistic uh, with the way that, uh, uh, um, you know, people are learning about Palestine and they're learning what's happening. You know, people say that Israel is telling you what's happening. Palestinians are showing you what's happening. Uh, so I'm very optimistic uh, for, the, for the future of Palestine and uh, for Palestinians here in, in America. Great. Well, yeah, we'll link to that uh, project nineteen forty eight and listen to michigan dot com in the in the show notes. But but thank you again and good luck on Tuesday. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. And please reach out if, if you all need anything. Sure thing. Yeah. Take care. All right. That's the show, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you are in New York City this coming Friday, March first, we are doing another paid protest for NYCDSA, the membership committee. We're going to be raising money for them, and we've got some great comics. It's Tom, Jeremy, Clap, Jeremy Kaplowitz, excuse me, not Klapowitz. That would be a vulgar name. Uh, Marsha Belsky, George Severus, Karabayak, and we also got Alex Batak and Kath Barbadoro. Come on out to that at Silo in Bushwick. Doors at 7 o'clock. Show at 7.30. Link in the description. Oh, my God. You got Alex Patak? <laughs> they said it couldn't be done. But I, I had to spend hours on the phone with his agent. Well, I'm impressed. Did you get uh, Uncommitted? Did you get that comic? We should put that on the flyer. We do. You know, you know I, I'm, unironically, we have a comic who's Uncommitted and would, is a really big get. Um, oh, so cool. Come on out to that <laughs> if you want to see potentially somebody who was on 30 Rock and has done the show before. But still a very funny guy. Oh, my God. You got Tracy Morgan? <laughs> Tracy Jordan, actually. He's going to be in character. Right, right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm actually doing something. It's uh, – yeah, I think I can make the announcement. So our our friend from last week, J- Jeremy White, the guy who has the upcoming court date, we're having a fundraiser for him here in Los Angeles. It's called Now That's What I Call Solidarity. The flyer is very funny. It looks like one of those old CDs. Now, that's what I call solidarity. It's March 10th at 7 p.m. at Laser Cat Bar. That's Laser with a Z. It's at 8364 West Sunset Boulevard. I'm going to be hosting, MCing, and there's going to be like uh, karaoke, fucking music, bar art, you know, regular party shit. I think the, it's, it's the, oh my God, it says the Oscars are on TV. It's the same night as the Oscars. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, we're doing multiple things for this guy. So hopefully that doesn't draw too much of a crowd away from us but uh but come out and watch the oscars at our party huh
So I've got also that and my other podcast, Why You Mad, about comedy, art, and philosophy with my friend Luisa Diaz. And that's my podcast, I Don't Know You, about King of the Hill, where we just watch King of the Hill. Okay, I think I'm good. All right. It's finished.